morning to everybody. I am uh, Nicolas Bornozis, president of CapitalLink, and uh, I am welcoming you from New York to our seventh biannual analyst and investor CapitalLink Greek Shipping Forum. This event takes place usually during the Posidonia week. While Posidonia this year is taking place in a very different way, uh, so our event we are delighted to host uh, as part of the Posidonia Web Forums Week. Over the next two days, we have an agenda of amazing quality uh, and density. Uh, our agenda aims to showcase the thought leadership of Greek shipping to a global audience. Greek shipping, Greek ship owners have been the business partners of choice for a vast array of businesses around the world. Charters, shipyards, insurance companies, banks, suppliers, and a very long list. Greek shipping has contributed greatly to the economy and to the development not only of Greece, but of many other countries as Greek ship owners have been primary clients of uh, major shipyards uh, and other enterprises around the world. So we are delighted today for the very first time to have a forum that will showcase the leadership of Greek shipping, not only in terms of ownership, as we all know, Greek shipping owns more than 20% of the global fleet, but also to position Greek shipping as thought leaders because they are thought leaders being at the forefront of the industry, uh, they will be sharing their insight on critical industry topics as they apply across this global industry. And um, we look forward, we have a great sign up. Uh, we look forward to hosting delegates from all over the world. I'd like to thank everybody, including of course, uh, our sponsors whose financial support has made this uh, uh, event uh, a reality. So we are going to start our forum with, um, by the way, the forum has been held, uh, even though I'm in New York right now, the forum is being held uh, in Greek time, Athens time, and uh, we look forward to participants from all over the world coming. Uh, please, uh, as you enter the lobby, I would like to remind you that you have uh, three possibilities. You can go to the auditorium, where you can listen, you can see the various presentations as they occur in real time. Uh, second, uh, you can go to the uh, exhibit halls where the various sponsors are hosting digital booths and these booths exhibit very rich informational material that you can take with you. And thirdly, you can also go to the networking lounge and uh, interact live with the other delegates via text, audio, or video. So we look forward to uh, two days of very rich experience uh, in terms of uh, content and thought leadership. Uh, and now I will start uh, with our first um, topic of the day. We would like to start with a journey in time. And uh, we couldn't be luckier to have with us Mr. George Fustanos, a very well-known uh, maritime historian and former ship owner who has lived in the trenches, so to speak, and who has experienced the development of uh, Greek shipping over the years. And he has done an amazing work 
in terms of documenting the development of Greek shipping over the years. So we're going to start with uh, Mr. Fustanos giving us a presentation, taking us through a journey in time to relive the glory moments of Greek shipping of the past and of course many more glory moments to come in the future. So I'd like to thank Mr. Fustanos for being with us. And before he will actually start his own presentation, we will have a, a, a short video. Uh, so let's play the video. The Greek shipping miracle. This is a glorious chapter in the history of a nation that has been closely linked to the sea for thousands of years. It is the story of Greek seafarers who faced the challenge of transiting from sail to steam. They worked hard, without any assistance from the state, and despite disasters experienced during numerous crises and two devastating world wars, they eventually managed to become leaders in the world seaborne trade. All these stories and many more are the subject of a pioneering virtual museum with thousands of documents and photographs depicting the fascinating journey of the Greek shipping community. You will become familiar with unknown facts about the evolution of the Greek merchant marine and its invaluable contribution towards the prosperity of Greece. Understand the role and witness the devastation of the Greek merchant fleet in World War I. See the efforts to rebuild the fleet in the critical interwar period, which coincided with the establishment of the London Greek shipping offices. See the return of the Greeks to the British shipyards in the late 1930s, only to be abruptly halted by World War II. Appreciate the decisive role of the Greek merchant marine during its course and witness the loss of three quarters of its fleet and even worse, the loss of many seafarers' lives. Admire the post-war establishment of the Greek-owned fleet, a unique accomplishment by Greek ship owners acting from abroad as their country faced the tragedy of a catastrophic civil war. Discover the true story about the acquisition of the legendary Liberty ships and the unprecedented investment in new buildings, especially tankers. This created the legend of the Golden Greeks and their decisive role in competitively transporting the liquid gold. Understand how open registry flags flourished thanks to Greek entrepreneurial initiatives and support benefiting the world economy. See in detail the Greek owner's performance in passenger shipping, serving the Greek coastal trade as well as international routes, and their pioneering role towards the establishment of the modern cruise industry. For the first time, see all ships built for Greek interests throughout the world. Witness the strengthening of various economies, such as Japan, South Korea, as well as China, who emerged as leaders in the shipbuilding industry to a great extent due to heavy Greek investment in their shipyards. Meet all renowned Greek shipping personalities of the past century. Understand how they achieved success in the world seaborne trade. Learn for the first time all you have ever wished to know about the Greek shipping miracle.
Thank you, Nicolas, for the introduction and for your kind invitation to participate in this exciting forum, organized following restrictions imposed by a pandemic that has changed our daily norms. However, life goes on and we must adapt ourselves accordingly. After all, we in Greek shipping know very well that adaptation is a key to success. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning from the island of Syros in the Aegean Sea, the birthplace of the Greek steamship activity. I hope that you have enjoyed watching previously the short video highlighting the contents of the online museum Greek Shipping Miracle. I had it established six years ago in order to communicate to a global audience the time, timeless achievements of our shipping industry. An industry that I served as a ship owner for almost 20 years before embarking on maritime history research 30 years ago. I will start by stating that the seabond trade is one of the few irreplaceable activities in this world. The sea surface covers over 70% of our planet. By coincidence, some 70% is the amount of water in the human body. Over the millenniums, the Greeks have forged strong bonds with the sea to the extent that many of our shipping personalities claim that the water in their bodies is seawater. Yet, I'm not here in the capacity of a science fiction writer to explain this, but as a historian who is sticking only to facts. And such an undisputable fact is that we Greeks have been consistently offering good service to world seabond trade for over one and a half century. We achieved this without receiving subsidies from our state, in contrast to almost all other maritime industries who have been offered general support by the governments, either to establish or to safeguard or even boost the existence of their national fleets. We are proud of this, especially as the timeless operation of the Greek controlled merchant fleet has always been the mainmast of our economy at no financial burden to the Greek state. The establishment of the Greek steamship activity dates back to some 150 years. A very interesting article in a, in a shipping supplement of the British newspaper, The Times, dated 13 December 1912, states among others that, Greece has always occupied a foremost place among the maritime nations in the Mediterranean. It goes on to add that between 1870 and 1875, Greece possessed well over 5,000 sailing ships, the majority home-built, and crew aggregating more than 40,000 men. But this flourishing state of affairs, the article continues, was not to last long. The competition of the steamer put an end to the aggression sailing ship marine. Greek ship owners, however, were by no means discouraged. With admirable adaptability, they also began to dispose of the sailing ships and to replace them with steamers. For some time, they had to struggle against many difficulties, but in the end, they succeeded. 
By 1880, without the least assistance from the state, the Greek merchant marine possessed from 100 to 110 steamships. As I mentioned, these are not my words, but quotes from the said article published by a renowned British newspaper over a century ago. This admirable progress continued with strong financial backing by well-established Greeks in the diaspora, mainly residing in Black Sea ports and Constantinople. No less than 100 ships were built to the order of Greeks by UK shipbuilding facilities during the three closing decades of the 19th century. A fact that in conjunction with many secondhand acquisitions led to the establishment of a notable maritime power by the end of that century. However, the outlook for world shipping at the time was gloomy following a severe drop in the market. An article published in the British magazine, The Shipping World, dated 29 March, 1899, explains the cause. An enormous mass of tonnage has been put afloat during the last 18 months, not only by ourselves, but by other countries. And the high freights of a few months ago have entirely disappeared. Under such circumstances, the Greek merchant fleet established and operating solely to complement various needs of the world seaborne trade looked rather doomed. It was an unexpected event that saved the day. The outbreak of the second Boers War in South Africa in October 1899 led to the requisitioning of about 250 British steamers by the UK government to be employed in transport services to the Cape. As the balance of supply and demand in tonnage was dramatically changing, the Greeks were there to take advantage of the situation. Over the next years, more and more Greeks, mainly from the seafaring family, went on investing in secondhand acquisitions, while others already established in the business continued placing new building orders though to a lesser extent to avoid financial overexposure. The growth of the, of the Greek steamship fleet continued unabated over the following years with new acquisitions, including some additional 90 newly built ships delivered from UK until the outbreak of the Great War. Shortly before this, the Greek merchant fleet was instrumental in the victorious Balkan Wars of 1912-13, facilitating war transport needs all over the Greek archipelago and even bringing back home Greek immigrants from the United States to fight for the country. The First World War broke out in September 14, bringing havoc to shipping, including many losses from the action of German U-boats. A serious disagreement between King Constantine and Prime Minister Venizelos kept Greece in neutrality until mid-17. Despite this, our country was indirectly involved since its very beginning, as most of the Greek merchant fleet was committed in serving British and French interests. Venizelos, who was heavily backed by the vast majority of ship owners, 
in efforts to bring the country into the war alongside the Entente powers could not, however, prevent the eventual devastation of the Greek merchant fleet. This serious setback did not subdue the moral of Greek ship owners. The majority had accumulated large amounts of cash earned during the war. But at that crucial time, shipping admirer Venizelos made the serious mistake of attempting to substitute the entrepreneur's inspiration with government policy. Hoping to succeed the fast reconstruction of his country's devastated merchant fleet, he imposed heavy taxation on all war earnings, simultaneously exempting from such obligation any owner who would replace his lost tonnage within a short period of time. Many were tempted and went on to acquire secondhand ships, and even worse, to place new building orders at the exorbitant prices prevailing at the time. But the market collapsed soon, and by 1921, all ships acquired in the immediate post-war period had lost almost 90% of their values. Most unfortunately, the catastrophic consequences of these untimely investments led few owners who had suffered enormous losses by acquiring overaged steamers to become involved in suspicious accidents, which had the image of Greek shipping seriously spoiled. It took almost a decade of hard efforts by Greek ship owners, mainly operating from London, to reinstate the status of our industry. Nevertheless, a significant number of Greek ship owners paid the heavy taxes, waiting for the right time to reinvest in shipping. This started happening after the market stabilized by mid-1923. Shortly before this, the entire country experienced the shock of the burning down of Smyrna by the Turkish forces, resulting to one of the largest movements of refugees in modern history. We should always remember that our merchant fleet was instrumental in safely transporting masses of unfortunate refugees back to their homeland. Greek ship owners continued acquiring ships and it was not long before their fleet had well surpassed its pre-war size. However, with the exception of eight new buildings, the majority were overage ships, additionally burdened by extra insurance imposed by British underwriters. Just before the close of the decade, the world economy experienced the shock of the crash of the New York Stock Exchange in 1929. The shipping industry was hit hard with a mighty British one topping the list. Many of its traditional enterprises were forced to massively lay up ships and eventually had them scrapped or sold at bargain prices under the lender's pressure. This time, the Greeks with minimal loan obligations started scrapping their old tonnage and had it replaced with much younger ships acquired at near scrap prices. By the mid-30s, and with the market recovering, Greece was once more a fast-growing maritime power, and most importantly, operating a much younger fleet. At this time, several prominent London-based Greek owners made a dynamic return to UK shipyards, placing orders 
for the construction of over 30 ships. Unfortunately, the euphoria was not to last long, as in September 1939, another world war broke out. Greece remained in neutrality until the 28th of October 1940. However, its merchant fleet was suffering heavy losses from its very beginning, owing to existing close ties of Greek ship owners with the British. When the entire fleet was later requisitioned by the Greek government and placed under British control, according to the Anglo-Hellenic Agreement signed in May 1941, Greek ship owners acted throughout the war as managers of their own ships, receiving only sums to cover ships' expenses. All surplus money from hires went to the Cairo-based Greek government in exile, facilitating its wartime operation. It has been estimated that about 14 million pounds were paid for this purpose and they were, they were never returned to ship owners after the war. At its end, over 70% of the Greek pre-war fleet was perished, had perished, and even worse, there was heavy loss of life. Ladies and gentlemen, in the aftermath of World War II, the shipping industry had to adapt in a completely new environment. The world was experiencing major changes characterized by regional unrest, the independence of colonies and the establishment of new nations. This situation brought radical differentiations to international trade, including the seaborne trade. During this crucial period, Greek ship owners, unable to function in a country that was further plagued by the outbreak of a civil war, had to work from offices abroad, mainly in London and New York, in order to reinstate their fleets, almost from scratch. The massive acquisition of 100 Greek flag liberty ship type ships between December 46 and April 47 from the United States might have been hailed over the years as the cornerstone of the post-war reconstruction of our shipping industry. But this is not exactly the reality. Greek flagged ships could not produce at the time much profits due to very high operational costs. The bold truth is that these ships offered invaluable services to our shipping industry, mainly for one reason. They allowed the mass employment of Greek seafarers who would otherwise end up immigrants in other continents, as many Greeks at the time. It is not difficult to appreciate how important this was, given that renowned ship owners established in post-war decades originate from the seafaring family, many have, having previously served on these ships. However, what is important to know when we discuss the saga of the liberties is that at least another 200 of these legendary ships and their various flags, other than the Greek, including that of the United States, were sailing under Greek control and operation by the end of the 40s, offering invaluable services to the world seaborne trade, as well as to the United States economy. It is worth remembering the post-war role 
of a large number of Greek shipping offices in transforming New York to one of the most important maritime centers in the world. In a similar manner, the city in London had equal benefits by the ever-growing presence of Greek shipping offices, operating ships, and the various flags, including the Red Engine. Ladies and gentlemen, a major breakthrough in post-war world economy was the replacement of coal by oil as the main source of energy, resulting to an increasing demand in tanker tonnage. Greek ship owners were among the first who anticipated the rapid changes in the sector. Consequently, they invested heavily in building innovative ships of this type and soon became leading players in a booming market. Of equal importance is their contribution towards the success of the open registries, referred to at the time as flags of convenience. Greeks were the first to have ships registered under the flag of Liberia in 1949, as well as to operate newly built ships under Honduran and Panamanian flags. By doing this, they enjoyed operational freedom that was wisely utilized in providing first-class service to charters, as well as offering low transportation costs for the benefit of the end consumer. Despite facing fierce opposition by many countries and seafarers organizations over the next decades, the open registries prevailed and are nowadays used by the majority of world ship owners. Their role over the years has been beneficial to a large part of the world population, especially to developing countries. Analyzing now the shipbuilding activity of Greek ship owners in post-war decades, it is worth note, noting sorry, that from 1948 up to the end of the 20th century, they took delivery of no less than 2,400 newly built ships from world shipyards. This means on average, a ship every eight days over 52 years. Japan is the country that benefited most from this activity. Note that in the year 1956, when the output of the Japanese shipbuilding industry surpassed for the first time the legendary British one, the Greek-owned ships built that year in Japan accounted over 50% of the total gross tonnage constructed by local shipbuilders. Ladies and gentlemen, Greek ship owners have indeed recorded miraculous achievements in the second part of last century that had the world talking about a Greek shipping miracle. Unfortunately, time allows me only to highlight, highlight points that I consider of utmost importance. One is that Greeks have been building pioneering ships at regular intervals, a trend that has reached unprecedented levels from the start of the new millennium, with deliveries equaling almost a ship every two or three days from shipyards in Japan, South Korea, and China. Of equal importance is that the Greeks have been real masters in of timing in sale and purchase deals, as well as demonstrating unique adaptability in all new situations created by world events. Since the end of World War II, world shipping faced serious crises, 
most of which resulted in massive layoffs. We had crisis in the late 40s, the late 50s, during the 70s, and worst of all, in the first half of the 80s. It is amazing that despite the heavy financial loss suffered at the time, Greek-owned shipping always emerged at the end of the day with the fleet improved, both in terms of size and quality. This can only be explained by the fact that Greeks are truly committed to this industry. They never lose faith into the sea and are traditionally reinvesting most of their earnings in ship acquisitions. We must remember that the Greeks came to the sea not for speculation or through state assistance. They believe in the wealth it can offer generously to all mankind. The sea gets sick, but never dies, our forefathers used to say. We do accept this as a fact and therefore consider market fluctuations as normal. When facing a recession, we know very well that sooner or later, it will be followed by better days. And it will be useful if this message is fully appreciated by our lenders, present or future. Greeks truly love the sea and the sea all over the globe loves them because beyond serving the world seaborne trade in a most competitive, efficient and peaceful manner, they also treat it with respect. We should not forget that Greek ship owners and seafarers were back in 1982, the first to introduce a voluntary scheme for the protection of the sea environment, Helmepa. We should also bear in mind that despite its international character, our shipping industry acts since long as the main pillar for our country's economy without burdening the national budget at all. The fast-growing Greek shipping industry, as well as huge investments in Greece by ship owners back in the 50s, gave power to the then Prime Minister Karamanlis to pursue the acceptance of our country within the European economic market. The mass establishment of ship owners' offices in Piraeus in the late 60s had the city soon transformed to a major international maritime center, hosting every two years the most important maritime event in the world, Posidonia. Last but not least, the Greek ship owners have been over many decades the leading social benefactors in their homeland. Ladies and gentlemen, please allow me some final words. Throughout my half a century long attachment to this industry, one thing has always been clear to me. Shipping has the blessing of uniting people, people of different nationalities, cultures and religions. The Greeks excel in this. As nowadays the world is experiencing turbulent times, the knowledge of shipping history and the way relationships are forged in the seaborne trade can offer us invaluable guidance in improving human relations, communication, and understanding. This is my friends, the bottom line of the message that I have derived from researching the history of the Greek ship owners. The seaborne trade leaders 
as I chose to title my latest book to be published next month. The Greek shipping miracle is and will remain fully committed in serving the world ship on trade. Most importantly, it is growing from strength to strength by demonstrating continuous adaptation to any challenge, including the current pandemic. Thank you very much indeed for listening. Mr. Fustanos, dear George, thank you for uh, a tremendous opening of our forum, uh, a very emotional, insightful and detailed uh, journey in time about the development uh, and the glory of uh, Greek shipping. Thank you very much. By the way, I would like to say to everyone that uh, Mr. Fustanos has created an online maritime museum and I urge you all to visit it. It is at www.greekshippingmiracle.com. So, uh, .org, I'm sorry. So, greekshippingmiracle.org. Uh, he has an amazing library of content there. So, I urge everybody to go and, uh, and see what he has put together. Mr. Pustanov, thank you again very much. And uh, we are now going to proceed to our next uh, uh, presentation. Thank you again.